Hey, all you rad dads out there. Hey, what's up, everybody? Rad Dad Brett here with another episode of the Rad Dad Show. On this episode, I'm joined by Matt Pryor, who's best known as the singer for the Get Up Kids. Although Matt's been involved in a ton of other projects, including the New Amsterdams, a solo career that's generated some of my favorite albums ever, and even a brief stint doing kids' music under the name The Terrible Twos. In addition to all that, Matt's a dad of three teenagers. He shared how having his first child changed his perspective on the band and touring, and eventually resulted in Matt quitting the band and focusing on his home life. Of course, the Get Up Kids eventually came back together, and now, with Matt's kids being teenagers, some of them are following in his footsteps. So we talked about how cool of a feeling that is. We also chatted about some of the struggles of parenting, like putting your anxieties in check and learning to live with not being in control of everything. I really appreciated Matt's openness, and I really identified with a lot of what he was saying, and I think you will too. So without further delay, let's get into it. Here's Matt Pryor of the Get Up Kids on the Rad Dad Show. Well, Matt, thanks for joining us on the Rad Dad Show. No, thank you for having me. You bet. Um, so I'm going to start off the way we always start off these episodes. Who are you? Uh, my name is Matt Pryor. I live in Lawrence, Kansas. I play music primarily with the Get Up Kids, but also with several other projects, including as a solo artist. I am the father of three teenage weirdos, and I just celebrated my 20th wedding anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, you've been involved in a lot over the years. I, you know, I've uh, followed your career since I was a, a young lad. Um, I actually, I went and pulled this out. Um, got my, my copy here, something to write home about. Obviously a very influential record and in where I came to, um, to he- hear about you and start following your career. So, uh, yeah, New Amsterdam's, Get Up Kids solo stuff and um you're also you've you've kind of dabbled in kids music as well yeah it's been a minute but i put out two albums under the name the terrible twos which uh was aimed at at uh you know trying to dip my toe into the children's music scene i guess you would say and i didn't like it (laughs) (laughs) i like I like those records a lot. I think they're really good. Um, and I think especially, and I'm sure more people are at the time. Anyway, there weren't a lot of people, um, from the traditional rock and roll world, uh, doing like kind of less pandering children's music. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? Like there weren't, I wrote about just silly shit. Like it was almost like, you know, um, yeah, I didn't have like songs about doing chores or anything like, you know what I mean? Like it was just cleaning right. your room. Not, not a moral to the story sort of thing or whatever. It was just silly to, to yeah. reach kids. I did sneak in a couple of, uh, uh, I snuck in a, a, a pro LGBTQ uh, song about, by talking about di- a pink and a purple dinosaur. So that was, in, that was my subtle po- political. Nice. Yeah. Reach them while they're young. Mm-hmm. So, so what? What brought that on? Like, what what brought on getting into that project? Was it just organic because you were singing songs for your kids? Yeah, I mean, at that time, uh, I quit the Get Up Kids for three years, um, starting in two thousand and five, and 
I really wanted, well, A, I had been like just singing songs and even writing songs with my kids because it was back when they were littler. And uh, I really wanted whatever the next thing that I put out after post get up kids to to not be comparable to the get up kids at all like so so that it wasn't like oh you quit the get up kids to do this shit you know like (laughs) yes i quit i quit a successful rock band to sing songs about you know poop yeah you know what that maybe that was just the (laughs) the departure that you needed right yeah it gives you some some distance and some perspective and so, so you have teenagers now, so around the, and, and so what, what are their ages? Uh, 18, 16, and almost 14. Okay. So you were on the, the two-year cycle. Yeah. <laughs> so They're all about two and a half years apart. Okay. So you would have, where, where kind of, I guess, help orient me to when, when you had your first child, I guess, where were you in sort of the the career path that that would have been right around the time that get up kids kind of took a break. Is that right? Uh, no, it's a, a, before that. So in 2001, my wife was pregnant and we went to go make our third record, which was called on a wire. Yeah. And then about three weeks after my daughter was born, uh, we left for the on a wire tour and it was the, as far career wise, at, at that moment, the band was probably the biggest that we ever were because it was after something at home about, we had toured something at home about for three years, basically. And, you know, word had spread. And so we were playing big places. We were playing theaters and we were playing, you know, really big clubs. But we had also just put out this record on a wire that a lot of people didn't get uh, initially when they heard it and a lot of people thought it was too much of a departure and yada, yada, yada. Uh, so that was a bit taxing because it was a double gut punch of, I I didn't want to leave home. Like I, 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 I didn't have any idea how hard, like I had gotten, I mean, I've been with my wife at that point, we had been married for two years and I had been touring the whole time we'd been together and so I'd gotten, I think we had gotten used to being apart in that sense. But then when my daughter was born, it was just like, I, I, it was a, a punch in the gut of just like, I didn't know I was going to feel so strongly about not wanting to leave. And then to go on a tour where the shows were great, you know, like the shows were like thousands of people, but then like the record reviews we were getting were, were like, this is shit this is like terrible. What happened to the get up kids? And so it was kind of this like, okay, well then why am I even doing this thing? You know, like I don't want to be here. And uh, it was a pretty dark, dark time. Even though like, and it kind of goes to, for me, my experience with, with touring is that the tour being successful doesn't necessarily make me happy. You know right. what I mean? If if I'm not if I'm not in that, that's not enough. I'm I'm glad when tours are successful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to it, but it's not enough to to get me over the the loneliness and the darkness that I I get into sometimes. And I I felt like and sometimes my my darkness is just sort of my own mental 
health stuff, but that one felt justified, you know, because it was just like brand new baby, you know, weird, weird place in the career. Yeah. Well, I remember, I remember when On A Wire came out and, and yeah, all that kind of um, buzz around then. And this is like the plight of a band who puts out a killer record, right? Is how how do you follow that up? And if you do anything differently, people are going to, freak out right and so it's it, i well, love and it's 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 i think i've thought i think about this a lot actually because i think that we've finally cracked the code <clears throat> with our last record of how to do something that is artistically stimulating to us but that is also not a culture shock for the fan, our fans, you know? And so like, even now when we're like talking and talking about starting to write again now, it's just sort of like, you know, the world's pretty dark right now, you know? So I, I can't see a lot of happy love songs coming out of, uh, you know, the, the COVID era uh, of songwriting. But uh, at that time in 2002, we were just like, well, we, we did like, we, we literally just played that record every single night for three years yep. and we're listening to different stuff, you know, and we want to try and incorporate that. And the thing is, that's kind of unfortunate that we realize now is that uh, some of the songs on, on a wire really kind of got neutered a little bit. Like when we play like we played the song, wish you were here at our live stream a couple weeks ago. Yep. And we, we, kicked up the BPM, put way more guitar in it. And, and it's, it's a good rock song. And I was just like, well, shit, that's what that should have sounded like on the record, you know, but it just sounds so like, like weak. But so the thing about on a wire though, is I always say like, I don't think that record is perfect from front to back, but I think some of the songs on the songs on there that are good are some of the best songs we've ever, we've ever done. So it's just, it's also like, we just didn't know people, people, you know, I mean, that was like that kind of like late nineties, early two thousands sort of emo like yeah. scene. It was blowing up. And it was, but it was getting really like territorial, you know, because it's when like the kind of corporate side of it started to come out and the like kind of like mainstream success started to come out and, and, you know, people, people feel like they have a sense of ownership over or what you do as uh yeah. as an artist, but, uh, sorry, you don't, and you can, yeah. you can like it or dislike it, but I own it. So, you know, well, it, it, it seems like that, like, I think what you're kind of talking about is that you guys kind of were defined as emo, but you've kind of pushed back against that for as long as I can kind of remember, you know, kind of trying to say that's not, that label doesn't really apply to us or that doesn't, you know, mean to us what, what it means to you. Is that right? So like as, as that whole thing was happening and emo was getting really huge, Vagrant had some really big bands around that time. Dashboard Confessional was getting huge, right? Like um, there was maybe an expectation for what you guys should sound like. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think there's two parts to that question. Um, and one is the, the term emo in and of itself as a, as a whole. Um, it really does mean something different to everybody who uses that word. Yep. Um, and for us coming up in the mid nineties, that was a derogatory term. You know, it was like, it meant you were like 
it basically meant like you were calling somebody a pussy, you know, like it was just, and uh, now people like self-identify that way or, or, or whatever. And I don't know if that's tapered off, but, or the, the moody emo teenager kid is like a stereotype now. And, but it's like, it means something different. So is emo sunny day real estate or rights of spring or is emo fallout boy and panic at the disco? And the answer is yes, it's all of it. It's whatever it is to you. Yeah just like punk, just like rock, like it's all. And so once I, you know, there's no way to fight it for me. Like I, again, like I I said, when I came up, it was a derogatory term and it wasn't one that I got to pick for myself, but there's nothing I could do about it. So otherwise I'm just the the angry old grump who yells at people for calling him emo and just like, like the emo grumpy guy. Um, But as far as like, uh, how how it relates to, I don't know that we had the 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 wisdom or the maturity to recognize where we were at in our career at the time. In that, we were part of something that was bigger than just us, because we were just us. We don't, and that's and and so we've kind of figured out the balance of that now of, cause like we very much only want to be the band that we all like. And we've, we've kind of figured out that balance now of just like people feel a sense of ownership, but you know, you don't really get to tell me what to do. You can either like it or not like it. And at that time, I think there was a real like feeling of camaraderie in that scene and yeah. maybe people just weren't people weren't ready for, ready for what we were throwing down. That record sounds totally in context with you know indie rock and emo now, but like I don't know what are you gonna do? I mean, I, I think that was a really long winded answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So no, I and I agree with you. Um, so let's let's go back again to kind of around that time. So your daughter's born. You head out on tour a few weeks later. Obviously, that's tough being away from your family. Maybe tougher than you expected. Plus, you're you know having some some um, you know uh, issues around kind of the critical response to your new album. So, so what does that look like? So, you kind of finish the tour. Um, what does kind of reorienting yourself to your new life as a dad look like at that point? Uh, I'll have to think. So that tour ends. In I'm actually looking at I have the tour poster on my wall, so I'm, it ends in July of 2002. The last so the last show of that tour was at the Uptown Theater in Kansas City, and my wife brought my daughter to the show, <clears throat> and she had pink eye. The kid did. Oh no! And so she just stayed on the bus and didn't watch the show. And then right before we were about to go on, they were like, this is at the end of, so the tour was six weeks long. It was divided into, it's one of the nice things about living in the Midwest is that you can do like figure eights. Yep. Um, And so we did three weeks on the West coast, took two weeks off, did three weeks on the East coast. So, but essentially we were gone for six weeks and we finally gotten through it. And the day of our very last show, we got the call that if we flew out tomorrow, we could be on Conan O'Brien the next day. And 
it's just one of those things where you're just like, I'm so tired. I want to just be home, but that's such a huge opportunity. You can't yeah. not do it. Um, and then I think we went to Europe a little bit during that time, like festivals and stuff. But I think the general consensus was really more like, all right, we need to get back to work. Um, Cause you know, this is divisive if nothing else. Uh, and in that time we used our recording budget to buy a studio, a recording studio uh, here in town. Well, just outside of town. <clears throat> and so that's, that was a big, big deal for me. Cause it basically meant I could go home and be with my family every night as opposed to, you know, having to go away. Right. For weeks at a time. Like I have to go away for weeks at a time to tour, but I really don't have to go away for weeks at a time to record. I could right. still do that. And so, but yeah, it was during that time that we were, we bought the Black Lodge and we started writing what ultimately became Guilt Show. Jim got married, Rob got married, James got married. Um, and I really started to feel like what I know now was a break and none of the other guys had kids and they didn't get where I was coming from right. because, and I think that that's at least when I think about it now, I think that's at least partially because I was a big booster for touring in the early days. You know, I was just like, let's just go. There's no reason, there's no reason to be here. You know, we're not making any money in Kansas city playing music. Like let's, you know, keep going. And then for me to all of a sudden do kind of a 180 right. and be like, I don't really want to do this. I think may have been confusing for them. So that ultimately ended up, you know, where we, you know, I, I needed a break. And, and so that happened right around the time. So guilt show, did you guys, you guys recorded that at your studio? Mm-hmm. And then it was, it was kind of shortly after guilt show came out that you guys took a break. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I quit. Take a break makes it sound like it was amicable. Okay. It was, it was, it was not. <laughs> so in, in retrospect, it was a break because you guys did sort of come back, but at the time it was kind of the end. Uh, I had absolutely no intention of ever doing that again. Yeah. So, so that was kind of, you know, competing priorities and things like that, that drove, drove that change for you. So after that, I know you continued with lots of other projects, right? New Amsterdam's was kind of mm -hmm. happening, I think around that time. And you, couple years later um started putting out some solo records um we talked about uh, terrible twos so what you know in terms of home life you would have had some time at that point to kind of really settle in hey yeah uh i mean the trade-off for me having to be gone was that when i was home i would do a lot of the stuff around like I was, when I was home, I wasn't really working at all. So I would, and I, I love to cook. So I still cook all the meals for everybody. Nice. Um, and then it, somewhere in that time, I got really into to gardening and farming and, you know, into uh, urban homesteading. So like turning yeah. our backyard into, like we just have a, you know, a regular 
city house and regular city backyard. But at one point I had 23 tomato plants back there. Oh. <laughs> it's like, it like a forest of tomatoes. Yeah. That was a bit much. That was too far of a swing to the other, other lifestyle. But I, uh, yeah, I was, I would take care of the kids and then like my wife would work. And so I would, and then at one point my, um, my in-laws moved in with us, which our house is not that big. And that's seven people, you know, in one yeah. house with one bathroom. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> so that, that, you know, when I, when I would have to leave, which I would try to keep really sparingly, they would, you know, step up and help with the, the right. kids and stuff. So you had the extended family there. So for you, Matt, what, what are the most rewarding aspects of being a dad? You've got a lot of time to kind of reflect on now. You've got teenagers, right? So they've gone through lots of different stages. Well, I don't know. Lately, the things that really stand out to me is seeing my daughter's band play. Oh, that's cool. And even though it was really awkward for me. So when she was 16 and she was trying to learning to get her driver's license and and she had one of those uh, permits where, you know, she could drive as long as someone with a license was in the car. Right. And nobody else in the band had a license. So I had to go with them twice, maybe three times to where they would play like basement shows, like house shows. And so it's like all these teenagers and young 20 somethings. And then I'm this 40 year old guy, like lurking in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Standing in the and back I, of their arms. Crossed. And I felt like, and so I would go like sit in the car, you know, until they played, but uh, I felt like such a creep. But when I saw what they were doing and that they had this scene, that's basically the same thing that we did um, when I was her age, that made me feel really proud my uh my oldest son has become a, a very talented like chip tune or like eight bit oh kind of com- composer and like that's something that like i guess i understand the physics of it but i have no idea how you make music like that <laughs> you know like it just yeah that's so cool i i like he I, might as well he might as well play the 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 harp you know like i have no idea <laughs> there's no concept <laughs> um and then actually my youngest son uh in quarantine has learned how to play the drums and play guitar and play bass oh no so I'm just like, i'm just like all right i'm so, glad we have all these things around the house so yeah so obviously that's you know that's a rewarding aspect for you to kind of um i guess you know your kids uh, i you know for lack of a better term, following in your footsteps a little bit, taking interest in music. Has that, was that a conscious thing for you to instill? No, I, I really didn't want to, like, I didn't want to push them. I mean, we, the only time we did was like when they were like kindergarten, first grade, it's like, you should probably take piano lessons just because that's, even if you don't want to play music, it's a good like cognitive thing for your brain yeah. at that age. Um, but they all kind of came about it natural, you know, on the, they came to it on their own. And the, and so I'm really happy for that. It is kind of interesting now though, because like my daughter very much wants to do like her band 
she doesn't want to be Matt Pryor's kid her whole life. I mean, she knows that there's a certain aspect of that. Right. But especially with them just starting out, like there's some opportunity, there's some, most of what I can give them is, is advice. You know, like, I don't like, like don't sign anything. <laughs> like you don't, <laughs> don't get into a bad record deal when you're 17 and you know, uh, but I, I, you know, I, I let them have their own space and now they're not, they were practicing in here and they moved into their drummer's house. And so now I'm like, Oh, finally I can have my office back. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. It's usually got to be the drummer's house where, where the jams yeah. happen, right? You don't want to be lugging drums all around. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. So, so that's cool. So uh, your kids have kind of taken interest in music. What do they think about your, you know, your kind of history as a musician? My, <laughs> my dad's a rock star. What do they think about that? Well, I'm not a rock star. Um, that has a whole other implication to it. The uh, I think that they they like it just various degrees. My daughter just fucks with me about it all the time. <laughs> my my youngest son has been really into it. And he actually seems to like. I think they all like the music that I make, but. I think maybe the bigger takeaway is they see that this is a job and that it's not like, like that's why I get so hung up on when people call me a rock star. Cause it's just yeah. like, that kind of implies that I just like stand there and be famous, you know, like it's yeah. like, I, I work really Life hard. Is real easy. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's that implication. I, yeah. I, I work really hard and I have worked really hard over my life to be able to, make a living as a musician and I don't think that there's anything inherently glamorous I think it's a privilege to be able to stand on a stage and have people sing along with you and I totally respect that but then as soon as you're done with that you're going to walk into a dressing room with graffiti and people have drawn dicks on the wall and it's going to smell like beer and dudes and there's (laughs) you're not going to get enough sleep and that's part of it. And that's, but for me, like, and so like, you know, I was telling my kids know that like, it is possible to make a living as a musician, but it is a lot of work yeah, and it's a lot of downtime and it's a lot of boredom and it's a lot of loneliness. But if it's what your calling is, then it is possible. It's not this like impossible thing. I mean, maybe it will be in the future. I don't know what the live music industry is going to be like yeah. after this. So yeah, that's that, a big that could drastically change things. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Um, so, Matt, how how has being a dad changed you? Like, if you think back to before you were a dad, clearly there was things going on in your career, but as a person, I have a tendency to be very controlling and very stubborn. I think a lot of people in my position that have been successful have that trait and I think when the kids were little little I really had to try and learn more patience um and then I think I had a harder time when they were like seven eight nine because it's like I mean isn't if you when they're babies once you wrap your head around the idea that you're never going to sleep you're at least like, okay, well, I'll dress them and I'll 
schedule this and I'll, I'll feed them what I want them to eat. And then they get, then they start to develop their own like personalities. And then I have to be like, well, but I don't want you to do that right now. Yeah. And it's taken me some time to let go of that. And I probably, I think it really kind of started to happen. Like for us, the age of 12 has been rough for all three of them. And I think kind of going through that and like talking through things. I don't know. I just, I see so much of myself in them too. Like the way that they handle stuff and like their anxieties and their like somewhat reclusiveness. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Some of what you're saying really resonates with me too. I mean, I'm a very, um, I'm kind of an anxious dad too. I have two young kids. So my kids are two and just about five. Um, But definitely, um, yeah, getting over, um, you know, that, that lack of control, that can be really tough, right? Like I'm very much like a routine person. Like we, we said, we're going to go to the park at one o'clock. Like it's one o'clock. Let's go, Mm -hmm. go. Right. And, and you know, there's, there's no reason to be like that, but the whole rest of your life that has worked out really well for you being able to right. say, you know, probably in, in your band, that's a big part of why you're very successful because you were that way. Um, but that <laughs> doesn't fit with parenthood sometimes. Right. Some, yeah. some of those, well, things. you got to find, you got to find the balance of, yeah. of, of giving them structure and letting them be and give, giving them structure and support, but then also letting them be their own person. Cause I, I grew up in a very like, my mom specifically was very much trying to make me into somebody that I wasn't because she uh, had this idyllic idea of what she wanted a son to be. And I, you know, didn't fit that mold. And then once I discovered punk rock, it was just like, well, fuck you then, you know, it's just like, <laughs> here's my answer. Yeah. So what was that? What, what, you know, what was your mom wanting you to become that you I mean, I went to Catholic school my whole life. Uh, I was a musician. I had as long a hair as they would let me have in school. Uh, I was into heavy metal, which she thought was satanic. Yeah, the devil's music. Uh, you know, all, all, all of those things. Like it was, and I don't know how much of it was me rebelling against her or just that was what I was into, but that's what I was into. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, in terms of how being a dad changed you, it seems like it's, it's kind of um, figuring out how to cope with, you know, those inherent kind of feelings of wanting to control the situation, but also realizing (laughs) I can't control everything. And I can imagine with teenagers, that's, yeah, it's tougher. Yeah. Especially when they start fighting about stuff that I don't think is, they'll start fighting about like, TV shows that they're watching or, or anime or something. And I'm just like, guys, this isn't worth yelling at each other about. Like, <laughs> mainly because I don't know what you're talking about. So, so Matt, you mentioned your mom. Like, what about your dad? Like, um, what, what was your relationship with your dad like? Distant. Uh, 
we still don't talk very much. It wasn't bad. Like he wasn't abusive or anything, but it was just, he was just, you know, his, his dad didn't talk. And so he didn't talk and which is ironic because he's a lawyer. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's, so, that's about it. So do you think that, um, you know, do you think that your relationship with your dad has any effect on um, the way you parent or, or your thoughts on parenting or parenting styles? Did that affect the way you approached being a dad? Consciously I mean, or subconsciously? Yeah. No, it was conscious. It was just like, I don't want to be distant. I want to be like, I've always been a proponent of communication. I think probably because of that, like I would rather over explain something than not explain something. And I would rather over introduce someone that you've already met than not introduce them at all. Like I just think communication is really, really important. And so I also think that like, I don't like it when people talk down to, to children. And yep. I certainly don't like it when they talk down to mine. Um, and mine are old enough now that they can handle their own. But, yeah. you know, I, I would just kind of like, you know, like, I really don't care if you swear in the house, but when you go to school, you're going to get in trouble. So yep. you might, you should be aware of that. You know, that's, my son got my son got suspended for three days because he told a he tricked a teacher into to saying something inappropriate and i thought it was hilarious but it was just like hey bud that's your that's your deal man like you can't do that stuff at school yeah there yeah you you can do it but there's consequences (laughs) but it was it was funny (laughs) well now i'm curious uh do you know who bo burnham is He's a comedian. I, I should know who Bo Burnham is, but I like off the top of my head, no. Um, well, he does this joke where it's like a call and response joke where he essentially gets the audience to say an end bomb. Okay. And he, my son got his teacher to do it. And so she basically said the N word in a class full of kids. Right. And so, <laughs> and I hated this teacher anyway. So it's just like, so, yeah, but, so on one hand, you're like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. But on the other hand, you're like, yeah. It's clever, yeah. you know. He's a smart kid. Yeah. Well, com- yeah, comedy is not, you know, I, I think there is like, definitely the best comedians are very intelligent, right? So ha- have that way of kind of manipulating people and manipulating the way people mm-hmm. think. So, um, okay. So do you consider yourself a rad dad? I don't really use the word rad for anything um unless i'm being like silly if i'm talking about a bmxer or something like that uh so so i think i'm i think i'm a good father (laughs) does that count yeah so uh, our show i mean it's rad dads we we kind of you know i I think it's just sort of a, a play on on that colloquial term rad, like, you know, we have lots of kind of punk rocker guys on metal guys on and uh, stuff like that. Um, so, so, you know, that's rad, but the definition of what a rad dad is, I think, you know, like we talked about before about emo, that could mean something very different to different people. We've had some people say, yeah, I'm a rad dad. Like I, I play in a band and, you know, 
tour the world and that kind of stuff. That's rad. It could be that, right? That could be kind of that, that aspect of it, or it could be, um, you know, what, what do you define as rad? Like, cool, good. Maybe it's the way you communicate with your kids and how you bring up your kids. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I guess in, in that sense, like, I, I think that, uh, I think that my kids will never feel any question about how I care about them. Like they will never feel like I didn't tell them I love them. They will never feel like I wasn't there for them. Although I will say, you know, of course, being uh, being on tour, sometimes I'm literally not here. But like emotionally speaking, um, I think they see a lot of, you know, I think they get a lot of positive stuff from me and probably some negative stuff from me too, but so how would you, I guess I, I, I get, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I, you go ahead. I've always subscribed to the philosophy and I don't know if it's a philosophy or it's just maybe like observed that really, if you do your job correctly as a parent, you make yourself obsolete. And I think when the, when it's all said and done, I will have accomplished that. I think that they will be obsolete. They already, they already, they already are smart, independent, creative, um, hardworking, compassionate people. And I take that as a win. Yeah. I also think that we've all, uh, both my wife and I have broken the, the parental cycles in our, in our families with our, with our kids. So hopefully yeah, so, if they decide to have kids, they, they will carry that on. So, yeah, we kind of, we touched on that a little bit, right? Like if that's something that's a real driver for some parents, right. It's like, I want to do things a little differently than my parents did with me. Mm-hmm. And, and so that maybe that's a, you know, a sign of success. And you talked about uh, being obsolete. Like, do you, just to clarify, you mean like my kids can, they're self-sufficient without me. Like I've given them enough of what they need to be good people in this world. Yeah. I don't, as long as I'm alive, I don't think I'll be completely obsolete. It's just, um, you know, if, if they need help with something when they're 30, then of course I'll, I'll yeah. be there for them. But, you know, I, I more mean in the sense of like, when you take them from being completely helpless yeah. to, to, you know, hopefully, 20 years later being like able to pay their own mortgage. I don't know. Like it's just like, yeah. And even that basic stuff, right. Of like a little kid that's totally helpless that needs your help to literally do everything. I mean, even that part's not easy. So getting a kid through that part and raising someone that you're kind of proud of in the end, I mean, yeah, that's a huge win for sure. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Cause like people ask me like, cause, uh, couple of the guys in the band have younger kids now and or just friends who've had kids and like does it get easier and it's like well no it just the challenges are different yeah you know like um you don't have to wipe anybody's butt like literally <laughs> but you know you do have to deal with the you know emotional stress of like yeah. 
you know, getting their heart broken or, or the anxiety of, I mean, especially now, like my daughter has a job that deals with the public and one of her coworkers tested positive. And so she had to self-isolate in the house and get tested and she was negative and, and thank God. But like she started back at work today after 14 days and she was super, super stressed about it. And like me, whenever she gets super anxious about stuff, it kind of just sucks all the air out of the room and, you know, I have to help her through that. But yeah. so it's, it's a different, it's a different challenge. This is a very, I think everything's kind of flipped on its head right now. Like a lot of people feeling tons of stress and anxiety and this is mm-hmm. just a really weird, um, you know, lonely can be a very lonely time right now for sure. Well, we're, we're lucky. My kids have been doing uh, virtual schooling for the last couple of years. So that transition hasn't been as bad for us as it has for other people. Both me and my wife are able to work from home. Um, Obviously can't tour extensive, like I can do live streams and stuff, but I can't really tour, but I can still make music. I can still write and stuff. Um, But it is just kind of this, you know, there's a, yeah, just a general malaise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah. Well, and every day it's kind of changing. I don't know what it's like where, where you're from, but we right now here, we're just kind of our second wave is really picking up. It's getting quite, quite bad here. And so it's, it's changing yeah. every day. Right. So once you, you start to get control of that and you find new ways to cope and you know, you, f- you think, you know, what, day-to-day is going to look like and then everything kind of changes there's more restrictions those kinds of things yeah i mean for our personal life it hasn't evolved that much uh it is kind of weird when i'm like trying to write music with four other people um and and you know kind of maintaining that and you know i'm an immunocompromised person so i have to take extra precautions in that sense so i've been like at band practice with one of those face shields yeah. on, which is hard to sing through. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It gets covered in spit. Yeah. Which is better to be on the face shield than yeah, sure. on my bandmates. So, okay. So yeah. Um, so Matt, like if, if we go back a little bit um, to when so your daughter's your oldest, when she was born or, or was on her way, did you have any fears about becoming a dad? Yeah, but I think I was comforted by just that kind of like, well, people do this all the time. They've done it since the beginning of civilization. Like, um, And I just kind of knew in my gut that it was just like, well, if we love her and make sure she eats and sleeps and you know, stays warm, then she should be fine. I mean, I, you know, of course, wasn't expecting the kind of emotional toll of having an infant because the lack of sleep and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I've been touring for almost 10 years at that point. I'm used to not getting sleep. You know, I'm used to sleeping on the floor of an airport if I have to, you know, to, for layovers and things. And 
Yeah, you already had those skills. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a it's certain sort of a, you know, madness, <laughs> I guess yeah. would be the only way, to, only way to describe it. Yeah, that kid comes along and, <laughs> you, you, and nobody knows what to expect, right? You might have an idea of what it might look like, but you really don't know what, it, yeah. what it's all about. I, I felt pretty, I felt pretty confident that I would be all right at it. I think it also, I have a tendency whenever my wife gets anxious about anything that I immediately go into like, nope, it's going to be good. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And so I, I may have been lying to myself at the time. I also might not be remembering it correctly, but it, uh, I don't remember feeling like super, super scared. Um, yeah, sounds like you were kind of mentally prepared. I had always wanted to have kids, so I don't know why. They're monsters. <laughs> they are monsters, but yeah, once you, you have them, you can't imagine a world without them. Mm-hmm. So, well, and that's, that's interesting now because we're getting to the point, like my daughter's 18 and she plans to eventually move out of the house and then just kind of like, well, that'll be weird. <laughs> you know, like, it's just yeah. like, but you know, that means we'll get, we'll have more space. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, if there's one thing we've learned over the last nine months or whatever it is, like there are ways to, to still remain connected, even if you're not in the same physical place. Right. So if mm-hmm. you figure out how to do that, you can, can mitigate some of those those feelings as well oh yeah we live in a fairly small town too so but yeah we we're having we're having another i foresee some sort of secondary lockdown within the next couple of weeks in kansas but who knows if they'll let them do it i don't know yeah what yeah i mean that that's the big thing here too we're seeing a huge spike in cases and i think there's um not a political willingness to go down that road of locking things down. Obviously they want to balance the economy and, you know, you, you do have to do those things, but uh, yeah, when it starts to get really bad, I mean, there's only so many <laughs> little half measures you can put in place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, you know, it would be nice if people actually be- like, well, knock on wood in the next two months, you know, hopefully we'll actually have someone running the country who believes that the coronavirus even exists. Yeah. And if we can survive the winter, <laughs> I think that, I think that the spring will be significantly better. Yeah. I don't think it'll be back to normal, Yeah. but I, I, th- I think that like the combination of, you know, having someone who isn't actively lying to the public yeah. in charge what a what a low bar to set for a politician <laughs> yeah i mean that doesn't Someone, seem to stop the supporters though does it no it really doesn't and then uh you know the the, the new the positive things that are coming out about the vaccines that they're working yeah. on i think is really positive we'll be getting into warmer weather we can do more stuff outside yeah i'm just like i you know they've, they've said from the beginning that we're gonna get through this um and I just, I wonder for my particular industry, how live music, especially on the club level is going to yeah. change because it's very high risk and it's very low reward because there's not a lot of money in it. You know what I mean? It's not, 
it's not like basketball stadiums or right. you know something like that so right i i did see so new zealand's done quite well and i did see that, that like it looks like they're back doing shows i mean i, I haven't like independently validated this but i've seen some posts on social media you know some concerts happening and things like that so i don't know like you wonder what it, it only takes one super spreader type event for that to just totally get shut down though again right like that's the fear well yeah and i mean if it i don't know what the solution is you know what i mean like yeah. i i it's probably a vaccine <laughs> Yeah, but then you have to get everybody to take it yeah, too, yeah. which is a whole other kettle of fish. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, I, I do think it should be. The, the The thing is, like, so when you take somewhere like New Zealand that isn't very big and hasn't had a whole lot of outbreak, but they do still have international travel in and out yeah. of there. You know, like we are. We Americans obviously can't go there right now because we're morons, but. Um, you know, it just takes one person yep. who was with someone else who yep. flew to Auckland and, you know, I, I don't big, know. Yeah, there's definitely a big aspect of, of luck, right? And you reduce the amount of exposure and if you're lucky, it stays low. And <laughs> Yeah, all I know is I didn't know, we didn't have really, any, like I live in a college town and uh <clears throat> most of the things that seemed like kind of anxious to me were like frat parties and stuff like that when, cause the school was in session and it was just like, ugh. Um, but other than that, like I didn't know anybody who had had direct exposure until this last month. And it's been four people Yeah. who um, like <clears throat> both my wife and my daughter were potentially exposed. They both tested negative, but because I'm, you know, high risk, I needed to stay away from them for the full 14 days, even right. though they test, they had tested negative at like day eight. That's the advice of my, my doctor anyway. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, it, I, I see that I see the wave starting you know, to become coming in on the horizon. Yeah. 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 It's the same, same here. We, we kind of had a little bit happening in, in the beginning, you know, March and April and kind of things seemed to get under control. And now into fall, things are getting quite bad. Like we're like a thousand new cases a day in our province. Yeah. Here. So it's, yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, same. And we like in Kansas, like it, everyone was just like, Oh, it's a city problem. It's like New York or whatever. And then it's like, so we have meat packing plants and prisons, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah those are both really and then and then we you know we're we're in fucking trump country so it's just like like are you why are you not wearing a mask i'm like whoa why because of the hoax and like, yeah well i think over two hundred thousand people dead in the u.s alone it doesn't sound like a hoax to me yeah it's like it's like i was thinking about this morning it's like holocaust deniers you know what i mean like it's it's really just like this horrible thing happened that killed all of these people that was preventable and you're saying it doesn't it currently doesn't even exist like it's just it's just asinine there's something about that kind of like um yeah i don't know what the appeal is i'm not a conspiracy theory guy 
there must be some appeal for certain people to, you know, feel like, you know, something that everybody else doesn't know or won't acknowledge. And yeah, it's such a, it seems like. Well, I think it's also that like, we have so much more time, you know, being home and people are out of work and they have much more time to like, just watch YouTube videos all day and things are going bad. I don't know why they don't blame the guy in charge when things are going bad. They blame, they just invented this like mysterious boogeyman um, that even they're still believing in now, you know, two weeks after the election is over that like, there's no way, there's no way we lost. There's no way. It's just like, no, you lost, bud. Like it sucks that I know that feeling like in 2016 when, when Clinton lost, I was just like, there's no way this is the real world, but it is, you know, and it's, you got to like, take the good, take the bad. Yeah. Take them both. And there you have the facts of life. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, so, I wish I had made a bet with somebody that I could work the facts of life theme into this interview. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy times right now. Um, so, so Matt, let, let's, we kind of do this thing uh, on the show called the rad dad's bad dad feature. So <laughs> I'm going to put that <laughs> It's so, you're so Canadian. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I didn't say sorry. I didn't apologize for it. Um, but we, I know I, 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 and that wasn't, it wasn't a critique because I actually have always felt a kinship to, to Canadians because I think Midwesterners are the same way where we, we, we're just like, Oh, sorry. You know, like, I don't, we, you know, like, I don't want to, we're, we're overly considerate, you know? Yeah, we but go on. Rad dad, bad dad. What are we doing? No, yeah. So uh, I think it is a funny thing. It is kind of part of our culture. I, I catch myself doing it sometimes. But um, um, yeah, so we we do this rad dad, bad dad feature. So I'm going to put you on the spot and kind of ask you to to name a time for us. So kind of a rad dad moment, a uh, moment you felt really proud. You kind of told me one earlier. So so maybe maybe we can use that one. But if something else comes to mind, so kind of that blue ribbon dad moment um oh the seeing my daughter's band yeah like yeah and and then um, and then a, a kind of a we call it a bad dad moment but it's not nobody's bad dad uh but we all have those moments where you're just like oh what was i thinking why did i say that why did i do that how did that happen um so yeah anything come to mind uh i mean so is this like rad, rad dad, meaning like a time that I felt like I had done something good? Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, I got to go on a solo tour with my friend Dan Andriano from Alkaline Trio. Yeah. And I brought my daughter Lily with me and she and I would perform songs. To, she would open the show. She would play first. And then during my set, she would come up for a couple of songs and play. And she, at least during my set, she always stole the show. She's got a really, you know, everybody thought it was really hilarious to be like, Lily, your voice is amazing. Your dad's okay too. You know, like <laughs> she made her own merch yep. and she sold, you know, she sold her own merch on the tour. Um, and that was a really fun thing for me to get to like perform we've done it a couple of times like 
performing with her. Um, that sounds amazing. Kind of getting to share that. Yeah, it was experience. It was cool. And then she got to learn how boring tour is. <laughs> so how, how long was that tour where you brought her along? We did it in chunks. So we did it in like 10 day. It's a lot easier to like <clears throat> in the pre-COVID world, like to travel as a solo performer because you can fly because all you have to do is bring a guitar. Um, than bringing like, you know, a drum kit and amps and stuff. <laughs> so uh, we did like, you know, basically two weekends. So it'd be like, you know, 10, 10 days. Um, we did four of those. So like, uh, we didn't make it to Canada though. Sorry. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> Next time. <laughs> so Dan, Dan, doesn't Dan have a daughter who, plays mm-hmm. music as well so was she part of that if, as well i don't know if i know he has a daughter i don't know if she, she 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 sang we did a like a collaboration song together and she sang his daughter sang on part of it um but i don't know if she's playing music um I, so i i would have as far as like things that i regret in my parenting like i've part of this thing of like learning how to like let go of control I've definitely lost my temper um and then I had this really like really vivid moment of seeing someone who I'm who I know lose their temper with their daughter when their daughter was younger and I finally got to, I always regretted losing my temper and I would always apologize for it afterwards. Yeah. But then when I was just like, when I saw it from the perspective of an outsider looking in, I was like, I don't really ever want to, I don't want to be like that. Um, And so sometimes lately, like I'll get into arguments, especially with my youngest, because he's a bit of a contrarian um, cause he kind of has to be, he's the youngest of a lot of opinion, opinionated people all under one roof. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't like that about myself. I don't like it when I get angry. Um, and so I try very, very hard not to do it. Yeah. I, I can totally relate to that one. That's one, you know, as soon as the words come out of your mouth, you lose your cool, you just. Yeah, There's no worse feeling than that, right? So, but everybody, everybody does it, and you kind of have to just be conscious of it. I think, like I've kind of learned, like it's not okay to do it. You shouldn't, shouldn't do it. You should check yourself before that happens. But if it happens, you, yeah, you kind of have to address it, right, with your mm-hmm. kids, because the last thing you want is for them to be afraid of you. Yeah, and I, I think that like I've done a good job of of if they ever have been afraid of me, that I've. I think I've rectified that um, and that I don't think that they are. Yeah. I'm not even sure they respect me anymore, let alone be afraid <laughs> of me. Um, so Matt, what's, what's next for you? Um, wh- what's happening right now? So get up kids had a new album out last year, right? Problems mm-hmm. just had a, you did a live stream fairly recently. Yeah. Here's your chance to kind of tell us what, what's happening for you. I, th- I know you've got a Patreon going as well. Uh, okay, so yeah, problems came out last year. We were in the middle of 
a tour with Dashboard Confessional when when um, the COVID hit. Uh, don't know what's on that front. As far as Get Up Kids go, we did our 25th anniversary live stream. We were going to do a 25th anniversary concert, but that didn't, you know, that's not an option anymore. Right. Uh, it went it went really well, uh, and we've since moved into a space that we can kind of have be our home base um, for writing and recording. Uh, we have a we we just bought a bunch of uh, we just bought a new computer so we can start recording. Nice. Uh, Rob, our bass player, is a uh, vintage gear aficionado so we have a lot of recording gear down there and we're going to start writing and recording and then we're going to have full like video capabilities to do more streams from our space and to do like awesome uh live stuff um i'm not we haven't fully figured out how that's going to manifest itself if that's going to be um what it, what it is, but we're, we're planning on writing a new record and, and documenting that whole, that whole process. Um, as far as myself is uh, career wise, I do this thing called downright, which is like writing custom songs. For right. People. I saw that. Um, so I do that. And then I have a Patreon where I, uh, you know, do songs that I'm, I'm working on and, and updates and playlists. And then lately I've started doing my podcast again. And it's currently just through the Patreon. It, it will eventually become like a public thing, but just initially it's through that. And then I've been doing a lot of live streams, like full album, like New Amsterdam's uh, live streams. I did a all request live stream on election night that was to take your mind off of things. <laughs> um, I could have used that. Even up here, yeah. we were we were all glued to our TVs watching. Right. <laughs> For seven and then, or whatever. Right. <laughs> and then uh, just this last Saturday, actually, we, uh, and I think you can, I don't know when this will come out. Maybe you can still see it, but we got to be a part of a, of a benefit concert that we've played. This will be our third time playing it called Thunder Gong, which is for this organization called Steps of Faith that uh, Jim, our guitar player, works at, that they, uh, they uh, provide uh, prosthetics for amputees that, can't afford them because cool. um, our, because our healthcare system in this country is fucked. And the, so we got to do that and it was really cool. It was a really cool event. It was like a live stream event, but it was like, we were by far the least known band on the bill. <laughs> it was like Foo Fighters, Brandy Carlisle. Like it was, cool. it was crazy. Um, so yeah, that's what's been going on. Um, and then I've been, you know, doing projects around the house. I mean, um, I don't know if you can see it. I built this bookshelf. Oh yeah. But yeah, I can see it. Cool. Good for you. Um, yeah. As long as it's square, I can build it. <laughs> yeah. I can't even do that. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm envious. You're way ahead of me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm, we're, I'm keeping busy and I'm creating, making, still making music and get up kids are keeping busy and starting to, to make music again. Um, the plan is to, uh, record an album during this time write and record an album during this time and do it do it from home yeah which is what we which is what we did in 2004 (laughs) you know when we bought the studio yeah so that's exciting so so in terms of where people can find you so we know uh patreon you're on social media and all that kind of stuff as well 
Yeah, the easiest thing to do if you don't want to deal with social media is go to Prior Songs, P-R-Y-O-R songs.com. And it's kind of like a clearinghouse for all of the stuff okay. that I'm doing. So for anybody listening, priorsongs.com, we can find out. Uh, you can find the downright, you can find the Patreon, you can find awesome. all the socials, you can find merch, you can find music, you can find Get Up Kids stuff. Perfect. All there. Sounds great. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Any yeah. kind of parting words for, for dads out there or maybe uh, dads-to-be? Um, hmm. Words of wisdom? Words of wisdom for parents parents to be i always tell people there will come a time when you have a newborn that you will want to just leave them in their bed and drive away and you of course shouldn't act on that and you will feel horrible about having that feeling but that feeling is normal yeah and again it's like you shouldn't do it (laughs) but but having the feeling and feeling that frustrated about the situation is totally, totally normal. Yeah. For current dads, I, I just, you're doing fine. You got this, you know, just talk, talk to them, let them be their own person, let them show you who they are and en- encourage them. And you know, they should be good. I like that. Well, with that, on that that note, uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for spending the time. Yeah, man. All right, that was Matt Pryor on the Rad Dads Show. I want to say thanks so much to Matt for joining us. If you're looking for more Rad Dads content, find us on Apple Podcasts or on social media. On Instagram, you can find us at at rad underscore dads underscore show. And on Facebook at at rad dads show. And now you can also look us up on YouTube for some video interviews as well. Lastly, Rad Dads started as a community organization, and you can check out what we do over at raddadsyeg.com. That's raddadsyeg.com. Thanks for tuning in. In the meantime and in between time, stay rad.